Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Andy Murray, and you're listening to The Tennis Podcast. Hello and welcome to The Tennis Podcast, brought to you in association with The Telegraph and with Eurosport. And thank goodness we have Simon Briggs of The Telegraph and Catherine Whitaker of Eurosport here to try to make sense of this extraordinary couple of days that we've had, and particularly the last five hours, in which Rafael Nadal has set up his first Grand Slam final against Roger Federer for six years with the most extraordinary win over Grigor Dimitrov. Five hours nearly, five sets... We're all a bit emotional, particularly you and me, Catherine. Yeah, I think the the least emotional person or, or the person who's covering it up the best is Grigor Dimitrov. I've just come from his press conference. I was expecting a sort of a shattered human being, a shell of a man. And uh, I'm sure there is an element of that somewhere. But I'm so encouraged by what he's saying. He said, I don't want to let my head go down for a minute. It hurts, but I want it to hurt. And I'll let it hurt for four or five days and... I won't let it hurt after that. I'll let it motivate me, which I know is very easy to say, but I really believed him just now. Yeah, he didn't stop, did he, Simon? He, OK, in the end, he was beaten, but he had to be beaten. He did not beat himself, Grigor Dimitrov. That that was a new, a new man out there for me, somebody who was willing to go into the trenches with one of the greatest warriors of all time. Yeah, massive step forward for him. I was doing commentary from the third set onwards, um, and was it the fourth set where he looked like he was being punched out of it for most of the set, but he just wouldn't lie down, he just wouldn't give up. He kept on making big plays to stay in games, to hold serve, and in the end he nicked it on the tie-break, and that was massively impressive in itself. And then he had that um, fifteen forty, I think it was, on Rafa's serve... To- Four three, so those were the points where Rafa just came up with the goods uh, in a massive way and celebrated you know, hugely. Kind of gave it the uh, a real kind of bug-eyed stare at his, de- at his at his players' box, and that was the moment when he he kind of broke Grigor, but there was nothing for Grigor to be ashamed of, and everything about him was really mature. Uh, everything about the match was. So collected, you know, he looked like a guy who is going to win one of these titles, which is good to see, because we thought that maybe three years ago, and then we wondered in the intervening time. 
Speak, yeah. speak for yourself, Simon. We thought that about eight years ago. You're <laughs> on the tennis podcast. Yeah, we've been bigging him up, bigging him up, and making fools of ourselves for years now. Anyway, Catherine, he no longer, no longer making fools of ourselves. I've I've seen enough tonight. I do think he's going to do it. now. Yeah, he's going to okay. win a grand slam. I do. Yeah, I do. Well, let's hope he keeps that look in his eye from his perspective. The quality of the match, I, I thought, was very high. Th- pretty much throughout, particularly the last three sets. I thought it was amazing. I was surprised to read on social media some of our colleagues not being particularly impressed. What, what were your, your impressions? I, I think pretty high is a staggering understatement. That was a five-hour match and full-blooded going-for-it match. I mean, I've never seen... All the way through, were you... Were you- feeling that it was high quality or just the last yeah, three Yeah, I mean, I know the stats say that there were a lot of errors. I know that uh, they were both running at sort of the same winner and uh, same winner count to error count. Rafa's was lower. He was around about, I think he finished at about 35 to, to 34. And Grigor was up at about 55 to 55. That was a couple of games before the end. So probably adjust that upwards a tiny bit. But yeah, it was high octane, high risk tennis all the time. Both of them were just... I mean, it was extraordinary. I can't believe anybody is disparaging the quality of tennis. I defy anybody really uh, over five hours, the, you know, the aggregate level over five hours with in those sorts of circumstances with what was on the line. I'm not sure anybody else could have maintained a higher aggregate level of tennis. It can be a very different feel watching it in the stadium, which you would have done, I guess, for the first two sets, Simon. You would have been... Where, where are no. you? How close are you when you're out there in the press seats? Uh, kind of 25 rows back or something. So, you know, middle of the seating bank, really. And then you would have been court level in our commentary box on BBC Radio 5 Live, literally knee level to the players at the back of the court. So what was your impression quality-wise of the match? I thought the second set was um, very nervy, um, but the other four were pretty good. Well, very good. Um, and towards the end, Rafa kind of, he kind of gathered himself and he seemed to kind of grow physically and he pushed his chest out and he just became a beast. And it was like that, that he's it's a sort of cyborg kind of, you can imagine Arnold Schwarzenegger kind of level of, <laughs> of, of just implacability. He wasn't going to back down. And... So Grigor was firing all these crazy shots at him, and he was coming back with depth all the time, which is that's where he lost it in the last couple of years, wasn't it? Because he was giving the short ball if he pressured him. But he wasn't giving any short balls. He was, a lot of the time, he was sitting in, playing heavy topspin cross-court, and letting Grigor make the kind of flare shots. And, but it was just, he was just, he wasn't going to be moved, you know? He, 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 he You'd had to pretty much put a bum under him to get him off the court. See, to me, I, I, Andy Roddick is always saying that we are victims of the moment and that we, we acclaim something to be great, truly great, because of its, how recent it is and we, we get won over by the emotion and the, the, the moment of it all. I accept that. For me, though, there were moments, there were, there were long periods of that match that were as entertaining tennis as I've ever seen honestly the the way Dimitrov was unveiling his full box of tricks and his athleticism and this ridiculous elasticity of his body with the dexterity that he manages to produce from from nowhere in the imagination and yet it still wasn't beating the guy it felt like something out of a film you know it felt like I was watching some made-up script that somebody was 
putting two monsters against each other, the superhero against the monster, you know? It's, that's a good one, isn't it? I couldn't agree more. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with Andy Roddick, and I think victims of the moment is a very, very good way of putting it. It's so easy to have a short memory, but I'm pretty confident that that is one of the all great, all-time great matches that I have seen. My memory is shorter than yours, David, and right. yours, Simon. But, yeah, I, I feel pretty confident that that will stand the test of time as an all-time great quality tennis match. I mean, to compare it to last night when we had a sort of similar reaction, we were all in awe and it was a magical night. In terms of the match, last night doesn't even compare. It was wonderful, it was dramatic, it was exciting, it was made all the better by the storylines at play. But as a tennis match, tonight was ten times better. So we are left, Simon... With Rafael Nadal against Roger Federer. We'll no doubt build up to that in tomorrow's podcast as well. We'll have a, a nice build up now to the women's final. But let's, given we've got you here, Simon, you're a hard man to nail down because of all your commitments for the Telegraph and all the writing you have to do. How excited are you? What are you expecting from this final between Nadal and Federer? Episode number 35, their 11th Grand Slam final. Well, for me, the 12th, issue- I'm sorry. The issue for Roger is that Rafa has had a great big net, as we used to say in cricket, um, in the sense that he's played the bloke who most resembles Roger's game for four hours and 56 minutes. And that's not ideal if you're Roger Federer. I mean, okay, you'd have rather it took four hours, 56 minutes than three and a half, maybe. But, I mean, talk about getting your eye in against what you're about to face on on Sunday. So for me, that's a big problem. And it suggests to me that Federer is going to have to bring a very um, trigger-happy kind of staccato style and try and win points in in four shots or fewer because Grigor was getting involved in long rallies and actually he can probably keep dashing from side to side, keep bending and stretching and those kind of gymnastic splits moves that he performs in a way that Roger, with a, an adductor issue, is not going to be able to do. So he's going to have to bring it and keep bringing it and, and take Rafa's time away from him. But I'm struggling to see how Roger's going to get it done at the moment. It's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I think the the flip side is you look at it and you think, well, Federer's had an extra day's rest. He would have had his feet up, having a cigar, watching uh, watching Rafael Nadal toil for four minutes short of five hours, and and, and he's got that extra twenty four hours. But then my mind goes back to two thousand and nine, mm-hmm. and a very similar match that Nadal had against Fernando Verasco, which. I think if I watched the replay of that now, I would be saying that that is the greatest Australian Open match I've ever seen in my life because I remember the feeling of watching Vanasco hitting the, these these winners past Nadal and Nadal still finding a way. And we were all thinking, well, hold on, Federer's just destroyed Del Potro for the loss of about three games. He's so fresh. And he played brilliantly in the final at times, did Federer, but he lost. He lost in five sets to Nadal, who just would not be denied. And And... Well, how, how is it that different now? I'm not sure it's massively different now. I think Nadal is the strong, strong favourite. However, I, unlike someone, I can see a way that Federer can win it. I mean, I, I only got to Nadal's press conference at the very end. He was already into Spanish, so I can't tell you precisely what, what he What did saying, he say in Spanish? But I can tell you he hobbled out of the room. 
I don't know whether he hobbled into the room, Simon, but he definitely hobbled out of it. And uh, there was a bit of a stir, and, and the people that were left in the room at the end said, did you, did you see the way he just left the room? And maybe there was a bit of theatre to it, I don't know. He's very good at recovery. You're right to, to cite the 2009 final and countless other occasions down the line. But he did look more tired, more sort of palpably tired than I've ever seen him, really, tonight. Um, and... Interestingly, according to Mats Verlander, who I've no reason to question, traditionally the stats suggest that the uh, man that play wins the second semi-final does better, has a greater chance of winning the final, which is contrary to what you'd expect. I guess it has something to do with momentum and unlike with what we used to have Super Saturday at the US Open, you still do get the two days recovery as opposed to three, but you'd have to think that won't apply in this instance. If the roles were reversed, it would be an enormous disadvantage to Federer to have played tonight and an enormous advantage to Nadal to have the extra day's recovery if he'd played yesterday. Federer apparently only covered 2.2 kilometres in his five sets last night against Stan Wawrinka. Rafa was sort of three times that tonight, but that that is just the different nature of, of their game. So Rafa, the strong favourite, but... I don't know. I can see a way that Federer could do it. I think it's more interesting than the head-to-head suggests. I feel like I've done a few kilometres myself. Simon Briggs is going to go and write his words for The Telegraph now. Quick prediction for the women's final, Simon. It's pretty strongly (laughs) in favour of Serena, isn't it? And I'm going to go with the obvious. Serena to win in straight sets. Well, the good news is all you Venus Williams fans is Simon Briggs' rubbish at predictions, as you know, for having listened to the tennis podcast here on the tennis. Well, I would like to point out that uh, at the end of last year, we, we were asked on the Telegraph to make a, a sporting prediction um, in our sport, and I went for Rafa Nadal to win a slam in, in 2017. So that would be one good one, which I might be able to... We call, it, we call that a rag-out if we, if we, if we produce the, uh, the, you know, the image of that page in, in a small version with a sort of wavy line around it and stick it in the paper. I see. Was that your phone that just made that funny little squeaky noise? Pardon? No, no. I did a... That was you, was it? Yeah, it was, that was my way of... Catherine Whittaker is the sound effects <laughs> specialist here on the Tennis Podcast. That was extraordinary. Goodness me. I really thought that was something going off in Simon Briggs's pocket, but it wasn't. It was Catherine Whittaker's sound effects. Simon goes on his way to talk to uh, the readers of The Telegraph in, uh, in his articles, and Catherine Whittaker and I remain in small interview room two which is where they bring not very popular players to talk to the media because nobody really wants to speak to them um but that leaves just Catherine Whittaker and myself how about my prediction hey how how good was that I was wondering when that was going to come up I have to say I can't even do banter with you about this David because that is some of the best predicting and you were precise with it as well what did I say? talk about no fence sitting you're going to make me say it so yeah. you seem magnanimous and uh, humble hashtag humble you said yesterday uh, more than 24 hours in advance that Grigor Dimitrov will play the match of his life take Nadal to five sets win people over but lose valiantly and that's that's exactly what happened it's a lovely sound isn't it and, and even, in fact, we were texting during that uh, fifth set 
and uh, talking, <laughs> talk, talking about the, the various permutations of what could happen. And I think we were actually texting at three all and four three. And I, I said, um, I, I was again watching in the Eurosport green room. Mats Verlander was there giving a running commentary of it all. So I sort of try and sit in the background and just absorb everything that he's saying. Uh, and he said he thought if Grigor won this, he would have a minimum 50-50 shot against Federer in the final, which really surprised me because, well, for obvious reasons. And I texted you to report that. And this was at the point just before Dimitrov opened up the 15-40, had the two break points on the Nadal serve, and the momentum was with him. Uh, and and I said, uh, Mats thinks Dimitrov can win the final if he gets there. And you just replied, but he ain't gonna. So... Props to you, David. Yes, I'm enjoying this tennis podcast immense. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, tennis podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking. And I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in. Being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Hey. Catherine, the women's final is tomorrow. Serena Williams against Venus Williams. Still can't quite believe that's happening. You know, it's just the the, the storyline of the fact that we have all four of these players at the same time. I mean, it has only ever happened once. 2008, Wimbledon. Serena and Venus. I mean, I think it might be a bit of a strange atmosphere, but I can't wait. I'm really looking forward to this final. The, the, the Williams sisters going up against each other. I think it is a celebration for the sport this moment. I, I completely agree. I have to say, I never thought I would find myself feeling nostalgic for an all-Williams final or an all-Williams match of any kind. I didn't relish them at the time, back, you know, back in the early noughties when they seemed to be happening all the time. Why is that? Because the atmosphere was so strange. Because, I mean, the, the dynamics of what goes on when they play one another is I mean they're extraordinary but they're so sort of impossible to relate to and uh, you know uh, it, yeah it, 
well, exactly that, extraordinary but impossible to relate to and, and... there's sort of loads of drama and yet no drama all at the same time. It's just strange. It's just strange. Um, not And it's strange for them, isn't it? And exactly. we Because we know it's strange for them. Because the way I always think about it, and, and particularly now I'm a dad and I've got two kids, and I think, you know, imagine if they played each other and really, really wanted to win both of them and one of them was going to be really, really upset and the other <laughs> one in their moment of triumph was going to have to upset their sibling. Ah, oh, I mean, that's awful. To think about it and to be a parent and to be, a, to be an aunt, to be a sibling. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they do it. And I have immense respect for them for the fact that they will do it. Absolutely. I remember when I was little and my brother was a good tennis player, my parents very much encouraging me not to play tennis and to perhaps take up ice skating, which I showed more aptitude for, to, to avoid inter-sibling competitiveness. And I'm very <laughs> grateful for that. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's unreal. I think there are a few things. I mean, there is the whole nostalgia element. There's the fact that it it's different now. They're 35 and 36. There are other narratives at play other than they're just sisters that are at the top of the sport. There are other elements to it. There's also the fact of... We did get a bit of a glimpse, more of a glimpse into it what, with Serena's documentary. I think in some ways... It wasn't as revealing, that documentary, as we might have wanted it to be because she is, at the end of the day, a private, closed-off person. But I think, actually, the the single area that we got the most insight into was about her relationship with Venus and that match they played uh, at Wimbledon and Venus's reaction to it and how desperately hard it was for them. I do feel like I just get it a bit more and not can relate to it in any way but just get it um so I feel differently about this one than I ever have about this Serena Venus match and uh I just yeah I, I think it will be a bit weird I think inevitably it will be I just hope that it's a bit less weird than it has been in the past if that makes sense I actually think that they they may handle it as well as they ever have uh, on this occasion. You mentioned yesterday when they crossed in the corridor and they didn't really make eye contact. We know exactly where we stand now. They absolutely love each other to bits. They, they are each other's world. They, they would, would back each other to the hilt. But they're going to leave it on the court tomorrow and just go and, and play. And they're going to try and win. And it's going to be com- super competitive. And whoever wins... It is going to be an amazing story because Venus Williams, I think most people thought this would never happen, that she would be in a Grand Slam final again. 36 years of age, horrible health issues that she's had to deal with. Um, You know, other generations coming along. And yet, here she is in the final. Serena Williams is going for history. She could be ahead of Steffi Graf this time tomorrow. That would be amazing. Yeah, and then she'd be going for Margaret Court's non-open era record didn't she there'd still be a record for her to chase it would just be oh move on to the next record um yes it's going to be incredible I remember talking to you about the men's US Open final of last year which I found to be extraordinary and enjoyable and and you know I loved everything about it as a as a tennis match it was a great battle and you know everything you could want from a final really and you said You'd commentated, I asked you how it was to commentate on, and you said, yeah, fantastic match, all brilliant, but there was nothing on the line, there was no history on the line, is what you said. There was a third Grand Slam title for Vavrinka, which is fantastic, and as sort of tennis geeks, that's interesting, but, you know, it, it, it would have been, you know, number 13 for Djokovic, it's just another one to his pile, another one to get him 
a bit closer to to Rafa and you know history on the line is is the dream for people like us who make a living from talking talking about tennis so we're about to have quite a special weekend we are What's going to happen, Catherine, tomorrow? What's going to happen tomorrow? Well, we'll leave the, the Federer-Nadal debate for tomorrow's show. What's going to happen between Serena and Venus Williams, in your view? I've got a random, weird feeling for Venus. I know Serena is the overwhelming favourite. She's Serena Williams. But it's the 2017 Australian Open, and I haven't heard anybody predict Venus to win. So that tells me that maybe I should predict Venus to win and thus jinx her. But I just have a feeling, which is about as scientific as my predictions ever get, really, isn't it? So there it is. What, you think I have a scientific <laughs> system with mine? <laughs> no. Uh, I, think Venus, I think Serena will win. Um, but, you know, that's just because I think she's slightly the better player. And well, she, she is the better player. I, it, of course she is. I think she would actually have to, to to be rattled a little bit and not play as well as she can in order to, to lose. Which is an entirely plausible scenario. It is. It is. I, I, I mean, you know, we'll see how she handles the occasion. We've seen her struggle in that situation before here last year against Angelique Kerber, against Garbini Magarutha perhaps a little, not trying to take anything away from those two players. Roberta Vinci, we have seen Serena at the last in recent years just fall short. I don't think so this time. We will see. Can't wait. Catherine, we'll be on television on Eurosport. You'll be able to follow that uh, in great coverage from, from Eurosport uh, and also on the Eurosport player. Don't forget 1999 if you'd like to get the Eurosport player for a year. BBC Radio 5 Live will carry commentary of Serena Williams against Venus Williams as well on Saturday morning. Simon Briggs's Telegraph articles will be there for you to read. And we will be back, Catherine, with another tennis podcast, won't we? Tomorrow night, if you can handle another... What time is it? Two in the morning right now, isn't it? If we can handle another... It is two in the morning. It's 2.10 in the morning, David. What on earth are we doing? It's madness. It is, but it's fun. It's fun, and we hope you've enjoyed listening to the show. Uh, We've enjoyed bringing it to you, and we'll speak to you tomorrow. Mm -hmm.